Good morning. Second Corinthians chapter five. We're going to read verses seventeen through twenty-one. I'm titling this, and I've mentioned this term before: visitation versus habitation. You'll know what that means maybe in a moment if that's a new phrase to you. This is one of my most favorite places in the Bible, in the scriptures. I like it because it's always in the same place. In my Bible, it's easy to find. I like it because in just a few verses, it tells us the amazing change that came when Christ died on the cross for us. And Paul uses amazing terminology. There's so much in this. But he starts off in verse 17. It's, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, in Christ, amazing phrase, he is a new creation. It's not, didn't say he will be, he might be, one day he will be, when he gets to heaven he will be, it says he is a new creation. Now, when God made the, the world, the animals and the king, you know, the animal kingdom and all that, out of Adam came a new creation that has never existed or never was seen before Adam, and that new creation came out of Adam. Do you understand? Humans created in the image of God that came out of Adam. He was, the Bible calls him the first Adam, and then there was another Adam. And the Bible calls him the last Adam, not the second one, not the third one, but the last one. And who is that? Jesus. And so, only till we had the first Adam did we get to see a new creation come from Adam. Only when Christ came, lived, died, buried, and resurrected, only then was it possible for a new creation to come out of that last Adam that was never seen before. And that's what happens when we put our faith and trust in Jesus. That we are a new creation. We're not the old creation with a paint job. It's not your old self with some improvements made. It's not you trying harder. It's not you trying to be a good person. Good people don't go to heaven and bad people don't go to hell. Well, I can see your faces. That is so new news to some of you. Well, let's just read a little more. He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, in other words, you've got to look at this now. Behold, you've got to see it. All things have become new. Now, all things are of God. The NIV says it a little clearer. All this is from God. In other words, this is God's doing. This doesn't have anything to do with you. You didn't ask God to do it. You didn't beg God to do it. You don't have any part in it other than to receive it. So all this is of God who has, past tense, reconciled us to himself through 
Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the church to himself. Oh, did I misread that? Some of you didn't know I misread it. It doesn't say that, so I need to re- read it again. The, God was in Christ, so that kind of blows away that teaching that you've heard that when Jesus was on the cross, God turned his back on his son on all that heresy that is so often preached, but it's so unbiblical. How could God turn his back on his son if he was in his son while he was on the cross? I've taught on it. There's another, that's another sermon we can show you where it's at if you want to hear about that. That God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Now, how did he do that? How, what, what, what was the result? Not imputing. That means not counting. Not keeping, not keeping an inventory. That's what that word means. Of their what? Their trespasses, their sin. To them, not imputing their trespasses to them, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God was pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Why? Because he has already reconciled himself to you. We're just asking you to be reconciled to God because he's not mad with you anymore. How did he reconcile us? He's not counting your sins against you. So that pain, trauma, problem, it's not God doing it to you. The audacity that you could pay for any of your sins. If you could, Jesus wouldn't have come. Last verse, for he made him who knew no sin... To be sin for us. Why did he do it? For us. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, Romans 5 and 10 says this, For if when we were enemies, we were, past tense, reconciled to God. When were you enemies of God? Before you accepted Christ. Everything with God is an enmity. Through sin, but what God? What did God do? He reconciled us to himself. How did he do it? Through the death of his son, much more. Having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Notice what it says. You, how do you get reconciliation? You receive it. So you don't achieve reconciliation with God. You simply receive it. Now, let me tell you this. I know you're standing. I'm just let you be seated. Listen, religion says this. God can reconcile you. That's what religion says. God can reconcile you. But the Bible says, but the Bible says God has reconciled you. In other words, it originates with God and not with us. Can you say amen? amen? Now, Father, we give you praise for that reconciliation that you accomplished of your own initiative 
of your own choice, of your own volition. You demonstrated while we were yet sinners how much you loved us and the steps and the depth of your love that you were willing to go to make peace with this world by your son bearing the penalty, bearing the weight, bearing sin. He became sin so we could become the righteousness of God in you. We give you praise, honor, and glory for that. In Christ's name, everybody says amen. Look at somebody and say, welcome to Grace Point. Give them a big smile. I, I do ask you to remember uh, my family, our family, my dad's brother, my uncle passed away yesterday morning. And, uh, you know, I, man, I just kind of had a tough, not so much tough day, but a tough night last night, just when things slowed down to think about it. You know, four months ago, just four months ago, my dad passed away. My uncle was there looking like the picture of health. And uh, that was my dad's older brother. And... Uh, I just knew that my Uncle Jimmy never probably even crossed his mind that just four months later he'd be joining Dad, you know. I went to see him this week in the hospital Tuesday. He was up in the hospital in Tifton and uh, went in to, to see him and he was able to visit with him. Uh, he'd had a stroke that escalated some things. <clears throat> and uh, when I went in, I went around to the side of his body that wasn't affected, and, and he squeezed my hand. I held his, and uh, I told him I loved him. And my aunt, his sister, said, do you know who that is? He said, this Dale. <laughs> yeah. And I told him, I said, man, you got a strong grip. And uh, there, I said, I believe you can still hold a fishing pole in that hand. And so he lifted his hand with mine in it off the bed and shook it like that, you know, to and kind of smiled to show me that he could do that if he wanted to. <laughs> he always loved the fish. So just pray for us. I'm sure we'll have his home going tomorrow or Tuesday. That let us know for sure yet. But, you know, it uh, It all, you know, it just reminds you, uh, Pastor Johanna and I were talking this week, and, you know, when you get to a certain age, you start seeing a lot of folks leave here, it seems like. And, you know, when you get to that, that level and, and uh, as people get older and so forth and, but it still doesn't make it any easier. But we give God praise. Uh, I was so tempted Tuesday uh, to just whisper in his ear and say to him, you know, when you see my dad, tell him hi for me. Because we just all knew. And he had said, he said, I'm ready to go. And, and uh, everything they offered him, he said, no, I'm not going to do that. No, you can't do that to me. <laughs> he just said, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to do all that. And he was ready to go home. And uh, so um, just remember us in, in prayer. Uh, I, I want to talk about this this morning, the uh, visitational culture versus a habitational culture. And what I mean by that, the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, that was a visitational culture. In other words, God would visit people, he would come upon people, and, uh, and then he would lift off of them. Uh, he would come upon uh, people like Samson or even David, but he did not live in them or with them. Now, man could live with God, so to speak, in the old covenant, 
but under this new, new covenant, it is a habitational covenant. And it's not that we live with God, but now God lives in us. It's totally different. And yet, how many times have you heard in your lifetime, if you've hung around Christians, them praying for a visit, you know, oh, God, visit us. Oh, God, when you come by, please come by here. Now, I know I'm going to mess up some of your old favorite songs. You know, don't pass us by. You know, when you're just passing through, would you just come by here? See, all of that mentality is a visitational culture. Listen, God is not your cousin. He did not come to visit. He came to stay. God is your husband, not your cousin. God moved in. Your heart is not a duplex. It's not door number one, the devil lives in. Door number two, God lives in. There's no battle going on inside for who gets the TV control. It is a habitational culture. We say things sometimes, and it was said today, and that's fine, and that is true, that God inhabits the praises, but don't ever mistake that like that, that God's not inhabiting the praise, and then we praise, and then God inhabits, and then we quit praising, and he leaves. That's That's a messed up view of praise. So it, 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 God changed everything. The Bible says, Ephesians 2, 22, that, that we are a dwelling place for God in the Spirit. For, so God lives in us. See, we, we read where when you got born again, God placed you in Christ. If any man be in Christ. Now, I'm going to read it in a little bit later, but I'm going to go ahead and say it now lest I forget that God, you're in Christ and then God put Christ in you. Say, explain that, preacher. I can't. It's not something to be explained. It's something to be believed. So when you got born again, he put you in Christ. Why? So he could treat you like Christ. Do you think God would put Christ in a sinful, dirty, filthy vessel? Do you all need a drink on that one? So it kind of messes up that deal that, well, I'm just a piece of trash or I'm this or I'm. So you're saying God put his son in a filthy place. That's why you believe that you can go in and out of fellowship like God's a revolving door or something at a department store. How... A, a habitational culture, how do you seek God? In other words, in a visitational culture, if you read in the Old Covenant, there's many verses that say stuff like this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Uh, seek the Lord and you'll find him if you seek for him with your whole heart. Seek God, seek the Lord in the Old Covenant, it says, while he's near. Why? Because he was coming and going. It was a visitational culture. But it is improper, unbiblical, and un- you don't pray like that now. We have to line up our talking and our belief with God's new covenant, with the habitational culture. So, so God doesn't leave. So, in other words, so or, or, how do you seek God? That's why you'll find no verses like that in all the New Testament. You'll find no verses. There's only one verse in Ephesians that talks about 
and, and no, it's in Acts, and Paul's talking to, to the people at Mars Hill that's got a statue of an unknown God, and he's trying to explain to them about who the real God is. And he's telling them that, that God talks about people groping for God that they, might, that they might find him, seeking for God that they may find him, groping for him, it uses in the New King James Word. And it says, though he is not near from them. I mean, though he's not far from them, that he is near. How near is God? How do you seek God in the new covenant? How can you seek a God who never leaves you? He's not going to leave you. I told you God is not your cousin that came for a visit. God does not have his suitcase packed by the door waiting for you to mess up and he grabs your suitcase and leaves you. God is not the God that the church has depicted him to be that now tells you, well, you, you did this sin and now God, you know, you're out of fellowship with him. And that means that, you know, it, most of them believe that God goes back to heaven or something just leaves you alone. But even if you don't believe that, most of you believe that when you sin, God's sitting over there pouting. He's not going to talk to you. He's not going to help you. He's not going to hear any prayer you pray unless it's a prayer of repentance. So he's just going to pout until you do something. You believe that? You believe that, you believe a lie. Let me tell you what God does when you mess up. He kisses you. Now, I know your mom and daddy beat the tar out of you when you messed up. Maybe that's just my old generation. I'm going to beat the tar out of you. I didn't know we had tar in us. But when you mess up in the world, you expect immediate punishment, wrath, anger, judgment, separation. I, I tell you, we do need to incorporate more grace into our parenting. That's another sermon. I wish I had known more about grace. So does my kid's backside. I wish my dad had known more about grace. <laughs> he was old, old school. Beat first, ask questions later. That's not where it is with God. God's not like that. When you mess up, God kisses you. You're sitting there braced for a whipping because somebody lied to you about him. And all he does is kiss you. I know you're thinking I'm just making up stuff right now. Where's that at in the Bible? You ever read the story of the prodigal son? That brother messed up tremendously. I mean, really good. Really wanted his dad dead. Couldn't wait for him to die, so he said, go ahead and give me the money anyway. Because I need to go get my party on. Went to a far, far away place, just as far away from dad and all that that he could. Had a lot of money to start with, so that makes you have a lot of friends. How many of you have had friends like that? They're, they're, they're friends as long as you're buying drinks for everybody. Spent all his money. Guess where his friends went? The Bible says no man gave him anything. No friends, no money. He starts feeding hogs, and he actually becomes jealous over what they're eating. 
And he didn't really love his father seemingly. He didn't really like, man, I miss dad so much I believe I'll go back home. He just simply says I had it better there. And even my dad's servants have it better than me. So that was his motivation for going on. A lot of people, they don't really come back to God because they miss God or miss the song Amazing Grace or they miss the fellowship or the communion of the saints. They just know they had it better then. And that's okay. God didn't do any of that to that son. And I always love to say this, the story, it doesn't use these exact words in Scripture, but above the paragraph, it'll say prodigal son. And, I, you know, people say, well, what happens if he died on, you know, while he was in the pig pen? Well, he still died as a son. A son is a son. So when he left Papa's house, he was a son. On his way to spend it on wine, women, and song, he was a son. And it was a son doing that. And it was a son in the pig pen with the pigs. And had he died in the pig pen, he would have died not as a non-son, but a son. And when he on his journey back home, he was a son. Your sonship doesn't change by what you do. Somebody needs to hear that. I don't mean it don't count. It doesn't matter what you do. It matters to you. I mean, who wants to eat with the hogs? Come on. I mean, why you want to eat out the dumpster if you got a banquet table? I mean, you can eat out of the dumpster, but the food's not going to be as good. You can live your life like that, but it's not going to be as good as God intended for you to have and to enjoy. But you can survive. But you don't have to eat out of the dumpster anymore. You've been born again. And somebody said, well, you know, that grace tells people to sin. No, no, it doesn't. When you've got to sit at the banquet table with Papa and you remember what dumpsters taste like, you don't want to go back and eat out of the dumpster. You don't have to really, you know, scare me and warn me about not sinning. Hey, I remember sin. I have eaten out of the dumpster. You understand what I'm saying by that? Not literally. But, I mean, I, I have partook of the sin. I remember the pain and all that that comes with that. I don't mean that I'm sin proof. I'm just not good at it anymore. By that, I mean I don't enjoy it even when I do it. The the habitational culture changed everything with God. Everything with us but everything with God in the sense that God removes sin. You know, I want to tell you something. An amazing thing happens at my house every week. It's an amazing thing. On Sunday night, tonight, I will gather up all my trash, and I will push the can out to the curb. And in the morning, early, an amazing thing will happen. These beautiful, wonderful people will come by, And they take my trash that I made, my messes, and they take it away. And once they have taken it away, I have never seen any of that trash come back to my house. It's amazing. It's beautiful. It's amazing. No matter how rotten it was, how it smelled, they take it away. And you would think they would learn one time, but here they come next week. They take it away again. Jesus came 
And he took away the sin of the world. Now, Jesus took it away. Now, in God's mind, sin is not an issue with God because his son did what he sent him to do, take away the sin of the world, not the sin of the church, the sin of the world. So God was in Christ, and he reconciled the world to himself so that he would not be angry or wrathful against the world because God loved the world that he gave. He, he didn't just love it, he so loved it. Sometimes you say, I love you, but then sometimes you say, I so love you. That's even higher. I so love the world that I gave. Nobody forced me, I gave. My son. So if God took away the sin of the world, who's the bloody fool that brought it back? Imagine my shock if on Monday morning they take away my trash. And imagine if I wake up Wednesday morning and the trash that they took away is now strewn all over my front lawn. I am not going to be happy. If God took away your sin, who brought it back? Who brings it back? I thought God uses even pictorial phrases like he separated the, the sin of the world from us, as far as the east is from the west, that he took sin and he buried it in the sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered against you anymore. Why? Because he took it away. So if that is true, and it's an amazing revelation to many Christians that they don't have that, but if that is true, if God really took away the sin of the world, then what's he got to be angry with you about? The word reconciliation means to bring peace. I've told you, I've used this example, reconcile. We think about reconciling, you know, a, a, your checking account. Although my wife was talking to my youngest son this week and he asked his mom, what are you doing? She said she was reconciling her checkbook. He was just blown away by that. What? He said, why would you do that? He said, I got to do is turn the computer on, look at the, you know, Bottom line, <laughs> no, there's a little more to it than that, son. That's why you, you get yourself in a mess, you know. I like to know what's coming and going and floating out there and hadn't been cashed yet and all that kind of stuff. But what does she do when my wife reconciles the checkbook? She is getting our checkbook to say what the bank says. Because they're, they're the real authority. It don't matter what you want to pretend you got in your Ledger is what they say you got that you can spend, right? Now, I've told you if you reconcile it and the bank says you got $500 more than your ledger says, you just go, well, praise God. You don't call them and tell them. I want you all to know that I've really done a good job of reconciling this, and I think that you all got me down for 500 more than I am really got in my checking account. No, you just leave that dog laying right there sleeping. But you let it be on the other foot. 500 less, you'd be dialing that bank, but you'd be calling, give me bookkeeping. <laughs> the point is you're reconciling and you're making your account agree with what the bank says. That's called reconciling. Why don't you agree with what God says you got in your sin account? Zero balance. 
You carry a zero balance in your sin account. <laughs> I know you've heard me say this. This is why Paul said, I labor. I labor to Christ gets for me. Do you believe this? Because if you really believe that, and I don't mean, well, go sin, it doesn't matter, you got a zero account, then that's just a spirit of stupid. That's like, oh, go ahead and stick, your, you know, go ahead and stick that finger in the fan blades, you know, while it's running because you got nine more. <laughs> just go ahead, you know, go ahead and stick your finger in there, you know. That's just stupid. Don't do sin. For those that send me stuff through the Internet, put me down that I'm against it. But Christ, it, ne- it doesn't negate what Christ did. And I'm going to reconcile my bank account, so to speak, you understand, with what God says I got. What I got is a zero balance and a God that loves me and never will change. And he'll never leave me and he'll never forsake me. And he won't pack up and leave me when I mess up. He'll kiss me and because God knows, because he wrote the book, that it is his goodness that calls men to change their mind, to repent, and to change the way they look at life, sin, everything. It changes their mind. And God demonstrated that through his son all through the Bible. And when they throw a woman at his feet caught in adultery, God does not rail upon her, beat upon her, accuse her, condemn her. He actually, and he, and he does not pout, and he actually talks to her. And he says, woman, where are your accusers? She said, I don't have any. He said, I don't condemn you either. He said, go and sin no more, which is what I just told you. So I agree with Jesus. Go and sin no more. But let me tell you what the church says. Church says, go and sin no more, and we won't condemn you. Jesus says, I don't condemn you, so don't sin no more. You don't have the power to go and sin no more unless you have the free gift of no condemnation from your Father. God will never condemn you. Romans 8, there is no condemnation, none. In Christ, there is no condemnation. What does the word condemnation mean? Punishment. God's not punishing you. His son bore the punishment of sin. God's not, punish, God's not going to punish two people for the same thing. There, I've always told you this. You understand this. I've said this a lot. There's consequences for your bad decisions and mine. I make bad decisions. I suffer for it. But it's not God doing it to me. So don't get mad with him. There's a lot of time that the person that I hate is looking at me in the mirror. And I don't advise that. There's no real benefit from that. That's where you get into that weird stuff, you know, cutting yourself and, you know, hating yourself, all that. That's just bull. You don't have to do that. That's a trick of the enemy. You can't pay for anything. You can't make yourself do better. That's why Jesus came. Is this like too simple or too boring or what what, what are y'all doing here today? Are y'all just getting it? All right. So it's it's just a huge difference in the habitation culture versus the visitation Christ in you what if you really believe that Christ in you Christ is in you he's in you so if Christ is in you that means you're awesome (laughs) that means that whatever you touch stays touched because you touched it because Christ is in you that means that you have an unfair advantage. It's called God's favor. Because Christ is in you. Live like, walk like, talk like.
Christ in, is in you. He, he's not up there. He's not up there in heaven. He's in you. So a habitational culture changes the way we pray. In the visitational culture, Old Covenant, this is how people pray. Now, let's see if it sounds like any Christians that you've known of in your life. The visitational culture prays from earth toward God. They're trying to knock a hole in the heavens. They're trying to get a prayer through. They're trying to get a prayer higher than their head. Why? You miss God. He's in your heart. Why you want to get a prayer higher in your head? That prayer ain't going to go no higher in your head. It ain't supposed to. All I want to do is drop about six inches right here. That's where Jesus is. It changes the way you pray. Y'all. <laughs> it changes the way we pray. So visitational, they're always trying to pray to God. They're trying to get God to come down and do something. Uh, in the habitational culture, we don't pray to God, we pray with God. We are co-laborer. In the old covenant, you pray from earth towards heaven. In the new covenant, you pray from heaven towards earth. How can I pray from heaven towards earth? Because you're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus now. So you have a heaven towards earth perspective on everything instead of an earth towards heaven. You're not in, a, in, a, in the habitational culture, you're not trying to make heaven your home someday. You don't want a cabin in the corner glory. You don't wait till you die to see if you've made it. You're already there <laughs> in the Spirit because you're seated with Christ. Where? In heavenly places. It's a whole different way, radically different of looking at everything. So you don't pray prayers like Isaiah 64.1, Oh, God, rend the heavens and come down because that's calling God a liar. He already ripped the heavens apart and he came down as his son Jesus. The old things have passed away, but the old things still plague most Christians in their minds. How do you seek God in the new covenant? Do you even still seek him? You seek him in the sense that you seek him from a different perspective now, that you, you seek God now. When I seek God now, it is not because I think he is distant, far away, or you know, and, and that I'm disconnected from him. Not ever for a millisecond am I ever been disconnected from God once I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I may have felt disconnected. I may have thought I was disconnected, but you're not. Well, you're out of fellowship. That's not in the Bible. That, that whole phraseology is not in the Scriptures. In fact, the opposite of that is true, that you have been made, brought into the fellowship of Christ. That whole thing about, you know, you're, you're, you know uh, we need to, I just want to be close to the Lord, Brother Dale. I'm just praying to get close to God. I want to get closer to the Lord. You can't get any closer to God if you've been born again because you're in Jesus. That'd be like you sitting here this morning. All right, let us all fast and pray for the next hour that we would be close to this building. Let us seek God as hard as we can with prayer and fasting and moaning and groaning that we might be in this sanctuary this morning. We pray for that, oh God. Oh God, help me to get in the sanctuary that I'm already sitting in. Oh, help me be close to the chair that I'm already in. Oh God, would you, could you, would you? 
Man, I spent about 20 years as a Christian trying that stuff. It is exhausting. Why don't we just believe Ephesians 2 that says, You who were once, once, far away, outside the commonwealth, not saved, without God, without hope in this world, you who were far off, but now you have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. You have been made one with him. Well, I feel like the Lord's a million miles away. Well, your feelings is messed up. You got messed up feelings. You feel like I don't like you. I love you in Jesus. I love you. You had never had some feelings that wasn't accurate? Come on. How about believing instead of feeling? It's not for all the feelers in Christ. It's for the believers in Christ. I wake up a lot of mornings don't even feel saved. By that I mean I just don't feel good. I don't wake up every morning going, glory to God, how to shun die this morning. I don't do that. That's not real. Some days I wake up and go, oh, God, this morning. <laughs> not again. You know, I'm just being real. But it doesn't change what I am on the inside. It doesn't change how I approach life because I'm, I know I have a habitational God that lives within me. He's never going to leave me. He's never going to forsake me. He's not going to pout. He's not going to quit talking to me. And if I mess up, he's going to kiss me till I come home. Try that with your little kids one time. They mess up, and you just start walking over there to them. You know, you get over. As soon as you get there, and they're like bracing, you know, and just go. And just look at the horror on their face. some kind of trick <laughs> I know they're going to kiss me and then slap me no God won't do that to you God's not going to do that to you he's just going to kiss you and you're just going why would you kiss me because he said this is what brings you close to me That's why I've never been, I I don't, come on now, don't send me no emails. (laughs) Remember that song? Man, I wore that song out, okay? So, and if you're still wearing it out, you know, you might need to update your, your praise, you know, stuff. I'm just going to say it anyway. I I know I'll get junk for this one, but I'm desperate for you. So desperate. I do not believe in a desperation culture. I remember when I was building my prayer cabin where I used to live, I, I, was, I would do work during the day that, you know, that I was qualified to do that the builder told me to do. You, well, you can do this in here, and then I'll come back and do the real stuff later, whatever. But I, I'd be down there in those woods by myself, and I'd have that praise going on, you know, real loud, and wasn't nobody but me and the squirrels and the, all that, you know. And, and I remember that was a real popular song back then. And, and I'm desperate for you. And I'd just lay in the floor and just cry out of desperation. I'm so desperate for you, God. And all that field, I mean, you're busy. Keeps you busy. Keeps your mind occupied. It's totally unbiblical. Just get you a Webster dictionary or any dictionary. Look up the word desperate and see what it means. It means anxious, extreme despair, and without hope. Does that sound like a Christian's life? Is that, the, is that what salvation left you in? Anxious, without hope, extreme lack, 
Is that what salvation left you in? Is that the position Christ left you? Then you can't be desperate for him. So, I, I don't, you know, so that's, that, that culture's messed up. Christians love it because you can spend 10 years, you know, digging up carpet with your fingernails trying to get God to like you. Trying to get God to come to your church or your city or to visit. God's here. That's why I don't believe in revival. I, 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 in my book, uh, book, Myths Heard in Church, revival is one of the biggest myths in, in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. That's why it's a myth. Not one apostle, not Jesus, nobody in the whole New Testament ever mentions the word revival. It's not in the Bible. The word revival is not in the Old, Old Testament. Some of you... <laughs> They look so shocked, Pastor Keith. They look like I'm just saying heresy up here today. I know it, it, it's, it's so much part of the culture of the church that it seems blasphemous to even suggest that revival is not biblical. But it's not. I mean, the fact that nobody ever mentions it in the New Testament, including Jesus, not one apostle, nobody ever comes out of their mouth, that should cause us to at least question it. The only thing that Paul ever said that, I, that, he desired, that he wished for the church is that they would come into revelation of the knowledge, wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of what Jesus done. That's it. So I don't believe in revival. I believe in reformation. But you cannot have reformation until you have revelation. So we need a revelation of what Jesus gave us when we got born again so that we stop praying for the mind of Christ and start utilizing the mind of Christ that was gifted to you, that we stop praying for God to come and pour out his spirit upon us, knowing that he did in Acts 2, and there's no record where he got the siphon hose and sucked it all back out. Stop praying for more of Jesus, oh, more of you, Lord, more of you, less of me, and, and start believing the Bible that you've been given the fullness of God in Christ Jesus. You didn't receive the halfness, the quarterness, the one-eighth. You got the fullness. So full is full. Stop praying for more. Start using the more that you got. It's, it's just that you don't believe in the more. You don't believe that you got more of you, Lord. Oh, God. The greatest need in America is we need revival, Lord. Send revival to our land. Oh, God, will thou not revive us again? Will thou not read your Bible and shut up? Praying. I'm not mad at anybody. I promise I'm not. Stop doing stuff that keeps perpetuating that false doctrine and I don't want my grandkids raised and have to undo what they learned. Oh, God, we just ask that you would go with us now from this place. So you're having to ask God to go with you. So you don't believe he goes with you then. Because if you did, you would with me praying. So you're actually praying to God and saying, Lord, we ask you not to be a liar because your word says you would never leave us, but we don't believe that. So we're asking you to go with us from this place. I don't want my grandkids hearing that prayer. Because that's a messed up theology. That's calling God a liar. God said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will go with you all the way even to the end of the ages. Period. God don't lie. Let every man be a lie, but let God be truth. Don't pray that ridiculous mess. So if you're going to get called on to pray the benediction, 
Let's try this one. God, I thank you that you will never leave us, never forsake us. And I thank you that as we leave this place today, we carry you with us because you are in us. Mighty God. Amen. Let's go eat some chicken, y'all. <laughs> I mean, let's pray that one for a while. We've got to start praying, acting, speaking, walking like Christ is in you, like God is true, like he will never leave you. Even when I mess up, he won't leave me. He won't leave you. If you would just be still, you would feel him even so right there. He won't leave you. That's the lie of the enemy. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. Boy, there's some good stuff in this one. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. I'm reading slower today. I know it. I'm just, I feel kind of a little bit kind of religiously mean toward religion. I'm tired of all this stuff that's hindering us from enjoying, walking, breathing, and habitational culture. Stop the visitation mindset. Stop being a New Testament Christian with an old covenant mind. And by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Hey, y'all remember Christmas and you remember that night that the shepherds were abiding in the field watching, giving watch over their flock by night? Remember that? Now, if y'all don't, I'm going to flip to it and turn and read it all to you. It's in Luke 2. Okay, listen, but you remember that Christmas story you think? Okay, and then all of a sudden, you know, angels appeared to the shepherds. And then the angels are saying this, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. Some translations erroneously translate that, peace and goodwill among men. I don't know if you realize or not, and you don't get the news, but there's not a lot of peace and goodwill among men just because those angels announced that that night. In fact, once they made the announcement, within two years of that, they would be killing every baby in Jerusalem. So it doesn't mean on your Christmas cards that God, you know, we're supposed to have peace, you know, on earth, Christmas time, ceasefire, all that. No. What was, what was the angels announcing? An amazing thing. That this birth of this little baby is going to bring peace on earth between God and man. And God's going to reconcile the sin of the world and he's going to remove every reason to ever be angry towards us ever again, nor, how, nor shall he ever remove his kindness towards us. How many times have you heard preachers and people portray to you an angry God? Either out of ignorance or just willful disobedience. That is, that is so wrong. God is not angry with you. You mean even when I've come in? He said while you were enemies, he reconciled you. He said while you were enemy, he displayed his love towards you that he died on the cross. He did that while you were enemy. What you talking about, man? He already, he'd already proved all that to you. So how, what are you dare now thinking that you did something wrong yesterday, now God's mad with me today? No. 
God don't want you to do sin because it hurts you and he loves you. But God's not mad with you. God doesn't have, God's not disillusioned. He's never had any illusions about you. And by him to reconcile all things, he's made peace through the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. Do you not see that? It's just in your mind. Now, in the body of his flesh, through death, to present you, this is how you are, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Now, turn to somebody and say, I'm holy. Tell, tell them, I'm, say, I'm holy. All right, now, the, uh, turn to somebody and say, on the other side, say, I'm blameless. Now, I'm telling you guys if you'd believe that. See, holiness is a gift that you receive, not something you achieve through your performance. It says, blameless, above approach. Now, man, this is going to get good. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard which was preached to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, became a minister. He's not putting a condition that you flop in and out. He's telling you to believe what? He said, if you'll just believe the, the, the gospel that I preach, you're not going to have any problem in this area. You're going to know that you're holy, you're set apart. You're going to know this. Down in verse 27, he says, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What, what makes, you're, you can do glorious things. Why? Because Christ is in you. Verse 28, look at this. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man, how many men? Every man, how? Perfect. That's why I say this and it still aggravates people and they send me stuff. I don't care, I know delete. Good people don't go to heaven. Only perfect people go to heaven. That's the only people going to heaven is tens. If tens perfect, you got to be a ten. Nine point nine won't get it. God don't grade on a curve. A seventy ain't passing. It's perfect or you're out. Well, there ain't none of us perfect, right? How long it take you to figure that one out? The only person that's perfect and that walked perfectly in this world is Jesus Christ. And so no, none of us are perfect. So therefore we could never become perfect by keeping any kind of rules. So God put us in the perfect one and now we're credited to our account as being perfect in him. So when God asked me for my report card, Jesus hands me his. Uh, a plus. I'm not waiting for Peter at the pearly gate, which none of that exists, and see if I made it. <laughs> I can see Jill looking at me. She's like, what's wrong with him today? He is just acting crazy. <laughs> and if you needed another one, Hebrews 10 and 14 says, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. When he perfected you, that was forever. 
You've been perfected forever. And so you, you can't believe in this habitational culture without seeing what makes it a habitational culture. As one brother says, God's not sitting in a swivel chair. Oh, you're doing good? Well, I'm, my face shines upon you. Oh, oh, you're sinning. I can't look at sin. Let me know when you, you know, repent of all that. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. I'm a bum. I'm a worm. I shouldn't have done it. Okay. Okay, I'm back. Let's be friends again. Oh, you sinned again. You had a bad thought. The Lord, turn, he turns his back on us. If God turns his back on his own son, what makes you think he won't turn his back on you? See, that's why that teaching's messed up. God was in Christ. God didn't turn his back on his son. I know you think you got a verse that says he did, but he didn't. When Jesus said, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? He didn't say God had forsaken him. He's literally quoting and reading, saying verbatim exactly from Psalms. There is a trilogy in Psalms. Psalm 22, Psalm 23, that everybody knows the Lord and my shepherd shall, and Psalm 24, and every Jew knew them three Psalms. Just like many people don't even go to church, they know Psalm 23, just from watching TV. For the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not. I mean, they know that. But I want to promise you, every Jew knew Psalm 22, 23, and 24. And, and, and all, everything that Jesus talked about coming out of Psalm 22, all my bones, just join, all that stuff, he, he's letting them know that that Psalm you know about, that a Messiah would come, He's saying the exact thing they said that Messiah would say when he was hanging on the cross. He's just confirming this person's dying is that guy. I'm that guy. God couldn't forsake himself because Jesus was God. How can he forsake himself? It's ridiculous. But religion will do a number on you, man. I remember one time I was talking to a guy. He's actually my cardiologist. <laughs> He's a great guy. Loves God. But he got a hold of my book and all. He said, I can tell you're kind of aggravated by what religion did to you. I said, a little bit. But I said, I'm going to spend my life now telling people about the goodness of God, the wrong things we've heard about God, and that we're not in some kind of visitational culture where God comes and goes, gets mad with us, pouts, no, no, none of that no more. That God put me in Christ. He put Christ in me. I can't explain that. I don't know which one occurred first. There's no first and second. It's just boom. It just happened at birth. And since Christ died out of him, the last Adam comes a creation that has never been seen walking this planet before, and that's believers. And because Christ is in you, that's the hope of glory. And glorious things can come if you would just believe the Bible with what God says that he did when he put Christ in you and you in Christ. It changed everything. And I just pray to God that at least this church, and, and I pray that I trade the church at, at, at the universal church, the, the whole church, would begin to talk and align up our vocabulary and our speech and our conversations and our prayers as if it's true. And, and, I, and I'm telling you, even if a husband's and wife, if people, you know, and, and I'm talking about in love, but if, if we would just call each other, you know, wait a minute now, that's kind of, you're talking visitational here. Oh, that's right. Because I, I, this, if it's been in you 20 years, it kind of sometimes it slips out. But if you see that God's up there 
And that you got to get a prayer, th prayer through what? Prayer through your shirt? That's all. Jesus, you're in Christ. He's in you. That changes everything. Changes how you approach the morning. Changes how you approach life. Because Christ is in me. It's not an arrogance thing. It's a wonderful grace gift. But I'm so thankful for it. What about your sin? He took it away. You didn't see the trash truck leave? It, it took it away. I'm not, I'm not going to chase the truck down and say, well, give me a portion of that back so I have something, you know, to. No. No. He took it away. So he's not mad because he's got nothing to be angry about. He took it away. So now I'm going to relate to him as if he's my dad, as if he's my husband, and that he loves me. And I'm going to talk to him like that. And I'm going to receive from him like that. And I'm going to know that he will withhold no good thing from me. It's going to change everything. Because I've been told a lot this wasn't true about my papa. And I'm still learning right along with you guys. But man, like I told them the other night in our leaders meeting, I've not arrived, but I have show left the station, baby. <laughs> I, am, I have pulled out of where I used to be and how I thought of him. And I'm still learning. And you know what, what I do? I discover even more goodness. The more that I see and read. Now, what does the Bible mean by growing up in Christ? It's coming to this revelation knowledge right here. What's happening to you this morning? Well, for some of us, you're having to be deprogrammed. Somebody's having to say to you, that's not true what you heard about him. You need to let go of that. Even if grandmama did hold it tight, you got to turn that loose because that's not true. The Lord's not passing by this way, walking by the pews. Stop by here, Lord. No. If you're born again, he's in you. You brought him with you, you'll carry him with you to the day you leave this age and you'll still have him with you. You're eternally perfected, set apart. Last thing, can you put up Ephesians 4, 22, I think. I haven't got the Bible memorized yet. I'm in the neighborhood, though. Ephesians 4, 22. Yeah. All right, this, we end in with this. This is your responsibility. This is your privilege. Because it's not like, okay, brother, they'll preach all that. It's all done. Hallelujah, let's go home. Don't worry about nothing. I don't want you to worry about anything. But there, there is something that you do. You, you engage in this. And, and, and what it is that Paul said that you put off, you put off concerning your former conduct. The old man. Remember what it says, old things have passed away, behold, all things come. That's the old man. I don't have time in this sermon, but I want to take some time and tell you all the old things that passed away. And the biggest old thing that passed away is the old you. And most of the ministry of the church is still based on trying to work on the old you. And it's a waste of ministry and effort and energy. That you put off the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. If you, if you try to live out of that, you see, God didn't want to spend time. It was too big a deal to try to make you better, so he just killed you off. He's like, I'm not going to fix that. It's beyond being fixed. I'm just going to make a new one. I'm going to let them be born again. I'm going to make a new creation. I'm not going to try to fix the old mess. It's too bad to fix. I'm done with it. I'm going to bury it with my son. Next verse. 
<laughs> Next verse. Do I have to say a word? Okay. And be renewed. This is where the battle is. In the spirit of your. This is where the battle is. Next verse. You're renewed in the spirit of your mind. And then this is what it's going to say. That we, in verse 24, this is what happened to you when you got born again. That you put on what? Now you're putting off something. The old man. Why? Because old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So you're putting off the old man, but you're putting on the new man. You're living out of the new man. Your thinking comes out of the new man, the mind of Christ. Your, your everything comes out of the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Holiness was gifted to you just like righteousness was gifted to you. True righteousness. What's true righteousness? Jesus's. What's false righteousness? Trying to keep rules to be righteous. That's false righteousness. But true righteousness and true holiness. I, I remember I had this guy tell me years ago, years ago, a long time ago. He said, Pastor Jeff, if you really knew me, you wouldn't like me. I said, why? Well, he said, I just have an amazing temper. I'm a lustful person. Blah, blah, blah. He went down this list. And I said, now, <clears throat> I'm not really into talking to dead people. But that's what I'm doing right now. He said, what? What do you mean? I said, I'm talking to a dead man. He said, what do you mean, Pastor? I said, you're speaking out of the old man. Everything that you said in the last five minutes is about your old man, the old you, and you're identifying with it and claiming it for today. I, I have a temper. Why? Because my family, you know, the, the young temper. Really? So you're discounting Jesus, what he did, and you're still claiming your old man. You're claiming the old traits. You're claiming the old thing. And you're speaking out of that as if it's real for you today. And guess what? You will live out of that revelation that you have not been changed and the old you did not die at the cross. And the Bible is not true when it comes to you. And you're going to have a lot of problems because you're double-minded and you're unstable. And you're going to be up one day and down the next. And you're going to believe in revival because revival is somebody going to come along and they're going to try to revive you because you're dead. I was a paramedic. When we revive somebody, that means they're not breathing and have no heartbeat. We're trying to revive them. The church, can't, you can't revive something that's already alive. You're dead to sin. You're alive to God. You don't need revival. You need reformation and revelation of what God done for you. And, and, but Christians had rather spend 10 years fasting and praying and seeking and, 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 and you know, praying for revival than being a revival. It's easier just to pray for it and never see it than it is to believe for it and walk it out. Good morning. Welcome to Grace Point. We're glad you're here. Just be that. If you like the word revival, just be revived. I don't know. I mean, just be that. Where do you come from? It, put on the new man. Put on the new man talk. Put on the new man walk. Don't try to get a prayer through. Jesus is there. Just talk to him. You don't have to use thou and thine. He'll talk to you. You don't have to be King James language. Just say, God, just talk to him like you would anybody. And live out of that. Because you've been created in true righteousness, true holiness. So live from that revelation. It's not something that's going to happen one day. It's something that did happen when you received Christ. I don't know how much better news you can get in this right here. And if you would believe it, 
Just go now and cause glory to come because Christ is in you. And that's the hope of glory. Glorious things can come from your life because Christ is in you. When you touch something, I told you it remains touched. Lord told me that one time. He said, just touch it, son. You know, in the world, when you touch something, that's how they go in with forensics, and they try to prove that you were there because you touched it, your fingerprints. As a believer, you first of all, you've been touched by God. His fingerprints are on you. But now, because of him, when you touch something, it remains touched. I don't know if you get that. You, you might not see an immediate difference. I can touch something, and I, and I can't see my fingerprint. But under the proper light, that fingerprint will come forth. The light of the revelation of Jesus Christ will bring forth that I have been touched by God. I have been touched by God, and that that I now touch is in turn touched by Christ because Christ is in me. That's the miracle that he would put in earthen vessels such a heavenly treasure. Amen. Stand to your feet. Do you receive the word? Give God praise. Come on, bless him real good. We love you, Father. Hallelujah. Okay, elders, elders, wives, y'all done made one appearance today, but y'all come up and we're here. Ministry team, some of my ministry team, but we love you guys. We want to pray with you if you desire prayer. You just want to come up and say hi. Hey, we'll do that too. By your head, let me pray. Father, I love you. Thank you for the amazing reconciliation that you accomplished in your son. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, Grace Point. You guys want prayer for any reason, please come up front. We're here to meet with you and pray with you. God bless you.